We'll continue our look at prayer today. And then Will Baxter will be preaching here the next two Sundays. And then when we return, we'll take a look two more weeks at prayer. After I return, we're actually going to deal with the issue of unanswered prayer for two weeks. So hang on for that one. Today, I want to talk about one of the, the, the things about our connected world. We live in a world where we are so connected that every tragedy is beamed right to us every day. There's no way to avoid them, really. They're beamed into our homes on our uh, television sets, or they're beamed to our phones or our other devices. And we, because we're good people, we have hearts for others, we offer our thoughts and prayers, even when the world ridicules us for offering thoughts and prayers, We do much more than this, actually. Much of the time, we find a way to help, if we can, to send funds or send our own people to work alongside those that are in tragedy. But the fact is, we can't get to most of these. No matter what you do, you can't get to most of them. Some of the poorest nations on this planet seem to get hit the most often with tragedy. And that just breaks my heart to know about it, but... What do you do when when you see cyclones and earthquakes and massive floods in Pakistan? Or when you see earthquakes and tsunamis in Indonesia? Or when you see mudslides that travel at 60 miles an hour and take out villages in Peru? What do you do? We have no ability to get down there quickly and ease the suffering and its human tragedy in its rawest form. And then there's the lingering tragedy. The tragedy that still exists when the television cameras move away. They move away because it's not new anymore. It's not fresh. They've gotten all they can to sell as much product as they can. And I don't mean to be unkind, but that's really the purpose of of media is to sell a product. And so they go find a new, exciting, shocking, horrible thing to focus on and those people are suffering as well so what do you do about the people that are still suffering who've gone on behind that that's what I want to talk about today when we talk about prayer when you see whole villages broken scattered perhaps buried under many feet of mud and debris you you could be forgiven for asking how can this ever be okay How can you ever fix this? How can they ever make a home there again? I certainly find myself asking that kind of question. When the the hurricane churned through the Caribbean just over a year ago and harmed so many countries, so many of those little islands that were already dirt poor. We wonder, what what do they do? How do you rebuild? They're poor. They don't have machinery. We can't get machinery there where they are because the roads are gone. The airport is gone. The the ship port is gone. And then you go back a few years later and you find that they have cleared it. How How did they do that? Every so often we actually get to visit this when media goes back and looks. It's one handful of dirt at a time. They, they can't push it with a big bulldozer, but they can pick it up 
They can turn around and walk it to a place, dump that, turn around and go back. Can you imagine the infinite patience that requires? I'm impressed. I am, every single time. I've lived long enough to witness this time and time again. Rescuers rush into the rubble as they should to try to find those who might be alive, but others also rush there and pick up a stick, a rock. They fill a bucket. They begin the process of cleaning. They don't leave, they can't. They don't have the funds to leave. And we need to remember this. When a big storm is approaching, let's say even New Orleans, there are people that'll say, well, why don't they, they just leave and get out of the way? You have to have money to leave. You have to have resources to leave. You have to have vehicles, funds for petrol, uh, guys, uh, uh, funds for food. You have to have a place to go. You have to have hotels. If you don't have means, you have to stay in the storm. And they do. And they can't leave. And they don't give up. And I don't care what any coach has ever told you, failure is absolutely an option. It's a really available option at all costs. But they don't fail. They keep moving. Even hungry, even thirsty, hot, Mosquito betting, they pick up the bucket, or if they don't own a bucket, their hands. And they clear it bit by bit. That's what I want to talk about when I talk about prayer. For some people, prayer is magic. And they write books about it like it's magic. If you pray this prayer, boom, there you go. And if you watch TV preachers, don't. But if you watch TV preachers, they'll act like, well, if you send me $100, God will give you $300 back. Magic? Are, are, we, are we talking about magic here? Or are we talking about God? Is God a dog that if you ring the bell every time you feed them food, he'll slobber on your command? I, I think you are disrespecting God when you act like this. God is God, and we are not, and that is immensely frustrating to me. Because I see so much that I'm thinking, right, God, get on this. But God's not my dog, and he's not going to go when I say sick him. Instead, how do we treat prayer? I would submit to you that a whole lot of people have lost their faith because others acting like prayer is magic. I have, um, I remember, I, I live with pain. You know that. I don't bring it up. That, although, I hope I don't bring it up that often. But I can remember before I met Cammie, I was single, I was trying to make my way through the world, and there was a man that um, befriended me, kind of, uh, I'm not sure we ever became dear friends, but he said, he, I needed to come to his church and not go to my church anymore. Well, at that time, that was completely, oh, are you kidding? My church's the only one going to heaven. I'm not going over there. But he said, because my church will pray for you and you'll get a healing. And I said, I'm not really sure that's true. And he said, well, the reason you're still in pain is you don't have enough faith. Well, there goes what faith I had. <laughs> you know, thanks for cleaning that up. It kills faith, does it not? Whenever that's put on you, like it's your fault. You just didn't do that right. Prayer is a process. As I mentioned last week, we want to speed it up. 
We want to pray for the real big thing without acknowledging that there are many, many little steps between here and there. It takes a while to get from here to there. There are handfuls of dirt to be moved before we can live in that place the way we want to live in that place. The universe, and I won't, do, I won't go all Mr. Science here on you, uh, but boy, do I want to. The universe is analog and we live in a digital world. If you don't know what that means, in digital terms, things are on or off. They're not kind of on. They're on or they're off. It's a zero or a one. In the analog universe, there are infinite spaces between zero and one. The old story, uh, the old puzzle that they'll give kids sometimes, if you're standing 100 meters away from something and you go halfway, then you go halfway again, how many times will it take you to get to the end? What's well, an analog universe? You'll never get there. There's always a halfway. Used to be digital phones were, uh, I'm sorry, uh, cellular phones, when they first came out, were analog. So you could connect a lot of places and you'd get fuzzy and it'd be you know, a little distorted, but you could still connect. Well, then they improved it with digital. It's on or it's off. Now you couldn't connect at all. You had to be in the right place to connect. And it was very frustrating to me. I kept going, this is not an improvement. It will be when all the towers are up. It's not now. We need to think in analog terms. By the way, that's called fuzzy logic. And I know that sounds like we're, we're saying that's an awful thing, fuzzy logic. No, that's a scientific term. Uh, it, it means that infinite number of spaces that you can move between things. And it's, it's important to realize when we pray, God does not move in a magical way to make everything happen the way we want it to every time we pray. If he did, we would be God and he'd be our employee. Instead, he is God. And so we must frustratingly sometimes move things one handful at a time and move toward God. I love it that Jesus praises those that ask, seek, and knock. He didn't say the people that get all the information, they found everything, and they're through the door. No, they're, they're still pursuing. And he talks about David being a man after God's own heart. And a lot of people read that wrong, because the word after in English has, has quite a few meanings, frankly. Uh, and they believe that means that David's heart was like God's heart. No! It means he was in pursuit of God's heart. He was trying to get to God's heart. That's what God admires and respects and honors. Move that direction. The, the world needs people who pray. But there's more to prayer than just praying. Look at Matthew 26. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is welling, but the flesh is weak. I believe that we skip over this verse way too quickly. Now, it'd be wrong to take this one passage and make this big elaborate theology out of it, but it's also wrong to ignore what Jesus is saying. You balance prayer with watching. You keep your eyes open. Now, that doesn't mean during the prayer, although I tend to do that most of the time. Because I do a lot of my praying as I'm walking around or driving. I'm not going to close my eyes. Listen, I, I, I was back in the analog days when you could, you could get stations in the middle of nowhere. I remember driving through Kansas. I don't advise it. I was driving through Kansas. It's 450 miles of flat. 
uh, tumbleweed every now and then, very exciting. Uh, and, and I got, uh, finally I got a radio station. You're moving at, yeah, by the way, kids, that's the way you had to do it back then. You twisted a dial, hope for the best, prayed to the, you know, anyway. In came, and it was a preacher. I'm going, eh, all right, I'll listen for a bit. And he was talking about, and, and he, uh, the only thing I remember, is he said, wherever you are right now, whether it's your work or school or whether you're at home or whether you're driving, get on your knees and close your eyes. And I'm going, no, 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 no. Don't, I'm looking around hoping nobody else found this channel. You don't have to close your eyes. Sometimes you need those eyes wide open. Watch. Remember Philip in the chariot? God didn't say, that man's seeking me. I'm gonna make sure he finds me. He said, Philip, go get him. You do it. Remember Paul? Paul didn't have the funds to do what he needed to do to survive and spread the gospel. So what did he do? He made tents. He didn't say, the Lord has not provided for me. He went out and prayed and worked. One tent at a time, one stitch at a time. I'm not sure what in the process he did, but let's just say that he sewed them. One bit at a time. It all starts with your eyes and a connection to your heart. And that's where we need to spend the rest of this time. There needs to be an active relationship between your eyes and your heart. Now, if you don't know what that means, you might have a disconnect here. Or if you think that's too simple, you might have a disconnect. What do you see and what is the condition of your heart? Those will be answered by the actions that you then take. Where is your heart? Where are your eyes? We are commanded to look. We're commanded to see. Do you remember the, the story of the prodigal son? Which is not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the loving father. But we gave it the wrong name. When the son finally gets it in his right mind, scripture says, he begins, to, he comes home and the father sees him. Well, I'm not a Greek expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I know people who are. And they tell me that that word see indicates he was already looking. He was out scouting. And they said it's almost as in anticipation as in standing on tiptoes looking for, on the horizon for the first sign of what you are seeing when it appears. Wow. Not just prayer. He was seeking his son. We're commanded to look and see. We're commanded to love and care. There's a good phrase for this in scripture. It's called lifted up their eyes. And when you look for that phrase, you learn something about God and about us. For example, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the ram that they sacrificed instead of Isaac. Good thing, he lifted his eyes. He looked for what God would provide. He said the Lord would provide and then he looked for what that provision would be. He didn't say, I need a, lamb, I need a ram caught in a thicket 20 feet away. He said, whatever you provide, help me see what you provide. He looked, he had the heart, and he saw. Isaac would later lift his eyes and see Rebekah. And that was a happy time for him. Jacob would lift up his eyes and see Esau, a healing that was required to take place, then took place because he looked. He looked. Joseph would see Benjamin, and his heart would turn toward his brother's and save them during the famine. 
that hit Israel because Joseph lifted up his eyes, looked, and the connection to the heart. The connection's got to be there. Now, let's start with the media thing. Let's say that there's another cyclone that hits um, Bangladesh or Pakistan, the southern bed of India. They're just, there seems to be a bullseye right there. It is not because God doesn't like them. It's because of geography and it's because of meteorology. That's all this is. It's the place where it is. And so here it comes and it hits and we see this. There are some actions we can take. We can, we can donate to the Red Cross. We can find other agencies and other aid groups, even our own brothers and sisters over there. We can, we can help in that way. Maybe you could even go there. But again, once you land in the country, how are you going to get to a place with no roads? It's tough. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about who you see here. Yes, in this building, but also outside, at school, at work. What are your connections? When you see pain, first of all, do you see it? That's huge. We don't see a lot because we're looking elsewhere. And our heads are down. And then when we do see, we have a tendency to let our, I'll put the in a schedule, to trump our calling. Once you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, we could have also called that one the parable of the lousy religious people because that was what it was about, was it not? You have a priest and a Levite going, you know, well, there's somebody beaten up and he's a brother of mine, he's a brother Jew, but I got church to do. Oh, God got me on that one once. We were driving, Cammy and I were just barely married we were driving to a little mission church. We spent our first six months building a, a, a church building for an African-American congregation in the coast of North Carolina. That was just kind of our, our, our thank you, God, we'll do this. You know? And so we were driving there, and there was an accident in front. And at that time, boys and girls, EMTs had to have a driver's license. <laughs> That's about it. So they pull, and, and they were just kind of standing around looking at a guy. And so I, I pulled over. I got out, I'm thinking, I got to get to church, because if I don't, you know, God won't like me. I was in that stage. So I go out, and they look, at, they look at me, and they say, what do you think we should do? I'm just standing there. And I'm going, well, you know, this is what I do. They start calling me doctor, and I'm going, nope, 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 not doctor. Uh, and and we're, I'm just a guy here. So we bend down, we get the guy on the board, and we get him into the thing, and, and, and you know, the ambulance finally, and get him off. Well... I don't mean to be indelicate, but when I bent down, I split from here to here. I used to be a, a, a much uh, larger individual. Uh, I was a bigger man in the kingdom back then. The, and I mean, I just, the, the entire trouseridge was now spoiled. And, and uh, trouseridge is a word, I just wordified it. Uh, um, the, now I was, what do I do? What do I do? Because I got to get to church. I'm a little bit late already. And this is um, probably illegal. Um, <laughs> Well, there was a house across the way where a relative lived and they said they could, you know, just go in there and grab some, some, uh, some trousers. And, and so I, I go in, well, he's smaller than me. Oh my goodness. I, I don't, you know, ladies, I don't know if you were of that certain age where you ever wore girdles. That was silly. Don't do that. I was about to pass out and see Jesus. <laughs> but here's the thing about all that. I caught myself repeatedly thinking that my obligation to get to church was trumping this and I was wrong and I knew I wasn't 
But that internal battle, I, it took me another year or two to teach myself that your schedule means nothing to God. If you see your heart is to be involved and the answer to prayer is to move, walk, do something. Gentlemen, I won't say gentlemen because it, it seems to be, a, a, I'm not trying to be sexist. I just think that this is a disease that hits men. We focus. In airports, there are women traveling on their own with two and three kids. They need us to be kind, to help hold things as they're going through the scanner. They need us, not to be creepy, but to be helpful. If somebody's crying, don't walk past them. If somebody is poor, engage them. We were feeding the poor in the uh, Cass Park, Detroit, as we did. Uh, that was just, that was what our church did. As I was driving back, there was a visitor man with me from church in Texas. Now, I need to stress this very, very, very firmly. This is good man. There's a good man. But he had a question. He said, I noticed you greeted most of the homeless people by name. I said, yes, we know them. They're our friends. He said, how long have you been doing this? At that time, it was four years. And he said, and they're still homeless. I said, yes. I was, was, I was waiting for it. You know, and, and, and Shanna over here is a, a psychologist. She knows, no, no, don't help them. Let them talk. They got to talk. They got to come to this on their own. And he said, well, are you really helping them just feeding them when they're still homeless four, year, uh, four years later. You know, what difference are you making? I said, here's the difference. When we pulled up today, they were hungry. They're not hungry now. That's the difference we made. Did we change the world? No, but we moved a bit of dirt. Just a bit at a time. That's all we could do. So we moved a bit of dirt. We can lift up our eyes in ways that lead to good or to evil. And Lot lifted up his eyes in choosing land and made a bad decision that led to the tragedy of Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there and after. Potiphar's wife lifted up her eyes to Joseph in an adulteress seeking out, and that was awful. So I gotta ask, where are your eyes? Are you lifting up your eyes? David didn't ask in Psalm 51 for a clean heart so he'd feel better and could sit quietly by his fire. Notice what he asked for. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sound familiar? You sang this. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. The idea of get my heart pure was so that I can act on it and bring people to you. Not let me be saved, Father, let me find favor in your eyes, but rather help me be useful. Give me clean hands. Give me pure hands. Give me a heart. Give me eyes and a heart to connect so I watch and pray. He would even talk about, I'm going to build, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. At that time, that was a figurative rebuilding. But again, that's what it was all about. Now, we won't show the video today because we're running, we're not going to have it, we're not running out of time yet. Don't get excited. 
But if we showed this, we would run out of time. In 2008, Brandon Heath, um, a Christian musician, wrote a song. He wrote it with someone else, and I forget the other man's name, and I'm sorry for that. Don't mean to show any disrespect. But Brandon Heath, who was the singer, he was landing in Detroit, I'm sorry, in the Denver airport, uh, and which is a mile high. And he talks about coming in from a mile high. As he walked into the airport, for some reason, it hit him. He needed to see everybody with God's eyes. And the, uh, I want you to look, we'll put a link in eBlast this week to that song. It's called Give Me Your Eyes. It is a very powerful song. We showed that to our church in Rochester, this is 2008, and we also showed it to our church in Colorado, it's, but it's a four-minute song. It's very powerful as he looks at people walking by and he starts singing their story and their song. Now, of course, he's having to make up the story and the song, but it's about real people that we see. We see these people. Have a look. What's going on around you? Christians, we can be the most tunnel vision people in the world. We can be the most knee-jerk people in the world. Watch. Watch and pray. What do you see? I love that with Ezekiel. When God's that whole valley of dry bones thing, Ezekiel's praying and he keeps saying, go, go out there and look at the valley. He does. He goes, what do you see? And every time Ezekiel prays a little bit more, he says, what do you see? Connect your eyes to what you're praying about. Then what are you going to do? How are you going to do this? When I was a boy, one of the phrases that was in our prayers a lot, and it was a fine phrase, was open unto us doors of opportunity so that we might, and that bit would then differ. We've all heard those type of prayers. The more I practiced lifting up my eyes, truly seeing, noticing, watching, I changed that line in my prayers. Now I say, lift up my eyes to see the doors already standing open, waiting for one of your servants to act. The many paths. Don't, young people, it is such a burden. It is such a burden. People will come up to you, old people like myself, and they'll say, what do you, what do you want to study in college? What do you want to be? The reason is we, we're excited because you have a life in front of you. We don't. Ours is gone. It's been a tragedy. But we're excited about you. And one of the great burdens that is laid upon you sometimes by yourself or maybe by a well-meaning individual is what is God's will for my life? I want to tell you right now, God has many paths for you. He has so many ways you can go. You go ahead and choose and do that dance with God. But you need to know his will is that you belong to him whatever path you take. Whichever one of these paths you take, just be available to him and keep your eyes open. That's all. It's pressure relieved. Just walk with him. There's a famous scene in the first Jason Bourne movie where Matt Damon's in a cafe with a young woman who's not really sure this man's telling her the truth that there's something about him which is not normal. Then he tells her, is it normal that I know the license plate of every car in the lot? All six vehicles that I know the weight of the man at the counter and that the waitress is left-handed. It seems supernatural, but it isn't. It's just lifting up your eyes. It's just seeing. With my grandsons, one of the things that I teach them as we walk along and do things is we'll stop every now and then and I'll say, where are you 
What do you see? And I think that's what they're going to talk about at my funeral because I say it a lot. What do you see? What's around you? Situational awareness is huge if you want to succeed in this world. Who's looking? What are they saying? What are they seeing? What are the attitudes? Who's hurting? Who needs your help? Who is a threat? Very rare. Who needs a blessing? Very common. An illustration I've used many times that if you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and go, oh no, I need milk, a screwdriver, and a prom dress. <clears throat> you're, you're going to Walmart because that, that's really your, your only option at this stage. So you, you go into Walmart and, and it's perfectly legitimate that you, you find and buy the, the products that you are looking for. But Christian, hear me. That is not your purpose in life. So as you go fulfill your needs, you keep your eyes open because your job is to see something and pray something and act. That's your job. Not just see it and pray it, but act. Who needs a blessing? Who needs help? Who needs a kind word? Who needs a smile? That's your job. Watch and pray. Be aware of who's around you. This goes double if you're shopping in a store in my way. I don't get why people walk in a mall this way. Spread out. Boom. Boom. And I'm behind them going, there's going to be an opening. <laughs> this, is, this is a weird yuletide version of Red Rover, Red Rover, but I'm getting through this. When I talk to the boys, that's often what I'm talking about, is there somebody needs to come through. Be aware. Be aware somebody needs to come past us, that they need what we're standing in front of. Whatever it is, be aware. In Louisiana, recently, I talked to a church about reaching out to them, uh, reaching out to people with love, just doing this a handful at a time. They were very disappointed. They wanted a big program. Why do, why do other churches grow and we don't? And I talked to them about one at a time, loving people. And they, they, basically they said, we already tried that and it didn't work. <laughs> then I looked at them and I said, I want to tell you, I really appreciate the hotel that you put me in. They have wonderful housekeepers. Let me tell you about the housekeepers. And I told them the names and the situations and the life stories of the housekeepers. Now I'm a loner, but I do that anyway. And they looked at me and they, one of them said, how did you know that? And I said, because I looked at them and asked. You look, you watch. There was a, whenever we were considering coming here, and by the way, today is um, five years that we have been here. And we, well, thank you. Every year, somebody loses a bet. But anyway, we, we, we were considering coming here and we were in a small group. Now this gentleman, I have no animus against him. I, he, he doesn't attend here. Uh, and, but regardless, he was in the group. And people were asking me questions about what we had done in the Detroit area, Rochester, and also in Colorado. And I was talking about the poor and how he worked. This gentleman looked at me, who's been a, a resident here for many, many years, and said, you know, all of that's very good, but none of that would work in Franklin because we don't have poor people here. Thank God one of your shepherds was here and said very gently, 
that's not really the case. But I want you to know, was this man lying? No, he had not lifted up his eyes to see. You have to watch. You have to open your eyes. You have to look. The place I get my hair cut, um, because it's cheap, has a sports theme. So they got screens all around you all the time, showing various iterations of ESPN and people that channel's breeding. More and more come. And I, I find myself getting sad in there because here are people whose entire life is arguing about things that's going to be over in 30 minutes. It seems to be all ephemera, but I, I, the more I think about that, the more I realize that's an ungracious thought on my part. They've found a way to earn money doing this, and that pays their bills and supports their families, and for all I know, they give huge donations to charity. Still, I wonder about our tendency to get wrapped up in arguments that do, do not advance things. They break our eyes away from the important to ephemera. Ephemera means something which will not be here long. It passes and is gone. We argue about that instead. There's a book. It's about this thick. For those of you that are listening on podcast, it's about this thick. Sorry. There's a, there's a you know, you got to pay if you don't show up. Um, it, it's, it's called The Authorship of the Book of Deuteronomy. Now, I believe that that sort of scholarship is very, very important. I am so glad that people have done it, and I actually enjoy reading it. But I saw it on the desk of a preacher in an exceptionally impoverished area in eastern Kentucky. I asked him about the book, and he, he, he lit up, and he was talking about local preachers in his tribe were all arguing about it, who was right and who was wrong. It had become a very big deal. Perhaps lines of fellowship were being drawn, surrounded by poverty, drug abuse, shattered marriages, and alcoholism, this is what was captivating that church. So I asked him, what's being done for the poor and the addicted and the dispossessed and the like there? And the answer was basically, well, we do a little bit, but can't do much because we don't get along with that church. Don't get along. And I was saying, what if you got together? No, that's not possible. They were telling me why it couldn't be done. And it reminded me of seeing villages and devastated in Pakistan on TV. I've never been there on TV my first thought is, no way that village is finished, but then the people stoop and grab a handful at a time. And I talked to him about, you got to do this. You got to start. You're waiting for the big opportunity. No, no, no. You start with a little thing, the smallest of things. If you want to rescue your neighbors and restore the village, go through the process. There was a young man that was Churches of Christ, and getting his master's degree in divinity in one of our schools. When he came out as gay and the school asked him to leave and he went to another school, I think I'm getting the time right, line here right. Regardless, he became the pastor of a metropolitan community church, which is a church that is built around the needs of the, the, the LGBTQ community in, in Colorado. My worship minister said he was really good friend of mine. Could we have lunch with him? I said, absolutely. So we went, we had lunch. He was a very engaging individual, but he was very, very wary. And you could tell he was waiting for the, how can you and what can you? It was all, and then that pause hit. I looked at him and I said, is there any way that your church and my church can work together for the poor 
in our area? That was not the question he was thinking. The answer was yes. I had one person when I told that story say, how can you work with, are you kidding? I work every day in a church full of people that are consumerist, that are, um, that over, you know, perhaps we're gluttons, perhaps some, some people here have hateful thoughts, they look at porn, and guess what? We're all in need of a savior, that's why Jesus came. So yes, I can work with this. One handful at a time. One step at a time. You want me all the way there? Not gonna happen. There's a process. We'll do it one step at a time. Even without the video, I went a bit long. But that's, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> um, so I'm going to situationally aware. I'm going to step away now. Uh, when we pray, let's ask God to give us sight. And then let's lift up our eyes and see. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be very disappointed sometimes. You're going to look around and go, that's, a, that's enough. What you see, do that. The scripture says, if you're faithful in little things, God will make you ruler over many, but you gotta start with a little. You have to start with a little. We bring our prayers back and we, we rescue our prayers from the inane vagaries of Lord bless all the orphans. And I said, take care of whatever's right in front of you and then move and take care of that and then move and take care of that. Would you stand, please? As we pray, God works. Now, he works without our prayers as well. It's just, are you going to be with God or not? You're going to join the team. As we pray, God works. And as he works, we lift up our eyes and see. And as we see, we pray. That's the back of your shampoo bottle from now on. Do that and repeat. And God will help us one handful, one step at a time.